Welcome to another episode of Maniacal Music Musings. I'm your host, Jeremy, as always, and I'm going to tear down the wall of censorship, even if I end up on the gallows pole. Damn. I'll, ride, I'll ride my path of glory, trying to catch the rainbow on my way to the temple of the king. All I found is an awesome black dog, but still I'm sad. My co-host, though. He's known the fiddler on the green, and he's been the black sheep of the family for years. He'll rock and roll up the stairway to heaven until he sees his self-portrait and says, damn, I'm sexy. Heaven denies, bitch. Going back down. Chancy motherfucking Grife. Hi. <laughs> yes. Yes, I... I had to I had to do your part in that one, Chancy, for good reasons. But understandable, I, you know. Welcome back to another week with your favorite musers. And of course, we bring a guest to muse along with us. And I'm telling you folks, this one's gonna be good already, I could tell. So strap strap in, strap on. But our guest tonight is Robbie Phoenix. Rockstar, nat- nationally renowned Fortune 100 win expert, and so much more. And and head of a head of the Sonic Oath. I fucking couldn't think of the oath part for a second. <laughs> Fuck. Drugs are bad. Okay. Octane, technically. You may want to restate that for edit. <laughs> yeah, bro. You fucked that up so bad. Isn't oh, it like Sonic? Isn't it Sonic Octane? I need a beer. Oh, Octane, Octane, Octane. I need something for my soul right now. Yeah, Sonic Octane. Let's get that straight. Time out. <laughs> I I apologize. Hey, Sonic Ghost is not a bad name either. I'm just saying. But <laughs> there you go. In case you need a cue card. Sonic Octane. Yeah. <laughs> and and you can and you can hear you can hear Sonic Octane's one single at the end of this episode as well. So. When you listen to the podcast for people, just so you know. But yes, we are back. And so, Robbie, first things first, how you doing tonight, brother? I'm rocking it, man. How are you? Can't complain. Got a big bowl of chili today. Haven't been, I haven't had to work in like a week and a half and I'm getting paid for it. So fuck yeah. Like, it's, it's just something that'll never happen again in my life. But I literally am getting paid for a week and a half to stay home. So, and it's not even COVID or anything like that. It's a good. It's no nothing that's going to hurt me in the, in the long run. So yay! <laughs> but <laughs> but so tell us about your band. I, I want to hear about your band. Yeah, I listened to the track and I fucking loved it. Thank you, thank you. Well, it was all tracked here as a demo in this studio where I'm sitting at Sonic Octane Studio at a Longmont, Colorado. The band started and continues as a brand. By that, what I mean to say is. The phrase Sonic Octane came from my roots in my family on my mother's side, my grandfather, Louis Franklin Bogart. And his passing wish to me when I was 16 was, hey, man, get yourself into like something dealing with entrepreneurship that blends technology and and sales and music. Right. So with all that in mind, you know, it took me many years to step back into music. I was a corporate guy for 23 years. And I was steadily able to build a studio that I'm sitting in right now. I I moved to the state of Colorado 10 years ago with an inflatable bed in a single bedroom apartment and one guitar with no amp. And that's how this all started. Over time, over about three years, 
I was able to start saving and I started filming content at raceways. And this is the largest independent raceway in Colorado called High Plains Raceway. And I worked with a general manager there named Glenn Concer. It brought a Shelby A60 Cobra into the, the track for a private day that we rented out the whole place. And he was peeling out and we brought in a, a shitty ass Dodge Demon that was a huge gas guzzler. We get like six miles a gallon on this thing. And we just paired them up to run and race against one another for the whole day. We had drone shots. We had Sony FS7 cameras spinning, all this kind of stuff. And at the end of the day, we had some really cool footage from the beginning of the brand that was Sonic Octane. And that's essentially in infusing and celebrating American engineering, craftsmanship, and speed into music. And that's what Sonic Octane started as. And then over time, we grew, and, and it was about a year and a half later, it took time, we started staffing the band with folks that would be kind of contributors. You know, the initial vision of that would be they would be partners. It ended up being there were more contributors. So as it relates to the music and the single you heard on, well, you may have heard it on Spotify or on Facebook, et cetera. That was a release through our partners, Curtain Call Records and Rock Rage Radio. So I want to give a shout out real quick to John Coons and Gigi, his, his wife. And just to say thanks, because they brought in after we cut the music here in the studio, and that was me creating the drum loop, adding the bass guitar, the initial tracking for the bass guitar, all the guitar work, and uh, some extra little things in there like uh, jet engine sounds. We had another producer assigned to work and clean up the demo work that started out of this studio to make it the single that it was for release, which the radio buyers would get behind. That led to a filming at Live Nation. And that was on top of the very prestigious Mandalay Bay, an exclusive VIP-only member place called the Foundation Room. If you've ever – just Google it if you guys are hearing this right now because I swear this club is completely off the hook. It's J-Lo walks in, and there's a $50 bottle of God knows what alcohol sitting in her locker literally for just to show up. And there are many celebrities that are member-only in this club. So we were able to secure filming permission to film there in, in the single that's released out on Curtain Call Records through Sony, The Orchard, called The Reckoning. And as you listen to that song, try and get the vibe, because the vibe is really about anti-violence, and it's about our inspiration to film in that particular location was just several yards away from the I Heart Music Festival massacre in Vegas, where we filmed literally several yards away from the very windows that were you know, Stephen Paddock basically started shooting 50 caliber rounds out of. And the reckoning is all about asking the right questions around why is there violence in America? Does Big Pharma play a hand in that potentially? Um, are some people just suicidal and crazy to begin with that caused this violence? Because it's not necessarily just the guns, obviously. And that's what it's all about, man. Thank you. Thank you, Music God. We have the approval of you, and that's all that matters, buddy. <laughs> and I do not mean that as a, car, a, a sarcastic way at all. I truly mean that. <laughs> but, but then again, the music God does like a lot of different things as well. He likes some music of mine that Chance doesn't like either. So, ah. but so yeah, that I mean, shit, dude. I want to live your life, like seriously. <laughs> but <laughs> when I was reading your profile originally on Podmatch, I was like, I want to read this guy's. I want to live this guy's life. Or what? Like, what the fuck? Yeah, it's been a pretty heavy dose of two sides. You know, I started with that creative thing for Sonic Octane. That's the brand that I founded and funded. And I'm not kidding around when I tell you, I literally poured every single dollar 
that I'd saved over 23 years of a corporate career into that art and into that messaging. I also own a big ass tour bus uh, as part of that whole venture. That's a separate company. And at, at the end of the day, what I can tell you on the corporate side, which speaks to the little like thing underneath my name here, you know, win factor $254 million. So how the hell did that happen? In brief, I'm going to tell your audience very honestly, I started my career broke as shit. I was humbled. And my wife allowed me to have a career by subsidizing the cost of my 100-mile commute every day to go to work. And it was turnpike tolls and gas. She was on a very humble social worker income at the time, making about $15 an hour, by the way. So it was a big sacrifice for both of us. I moved into her parents' house, my in-law's house, and we saved for four months for our apartment. Well, humble beginnings lead to very, very diligent focused work that led to a team I put around my work. And the team helped me ascend to being the top salesperson nationwide at Verizon Business in the mid-market division what was then called Business Solutions Group. And that led to several millions of dollars of direct contribution and that led to promotions and engineering, which ultimately led to my passion in my corporate life, which was leading, and you'll see there, win factor competitive intelligence. What that means is I know how to teach companies, Fortune 100 companies, how to learn, how to compete and win and beat their competition down and make millions of dollars in every campaign that they run. That's my expertise, and that, that's what's led collectively to two Fortune 100 companies in direct service contribution of over a quarter billion dollars of direct contribution. So that's the other side of me that goes, okay, how did I get there? And what does this, if anything, have to do with the music? Because honestly, a lot of people probably hear this and they go, who the hell is this guy and what is he all about? And the truth of it is, I started broke in both realms, you know, I shared earlier about my music humble beginnings moving into the state of Colorado 10 years ago with an inflatable bed, a guitar, no amp, no mics, no forget about it, right? And it was the same when I started my corporate career. What I can tell you is I leveraged my creative advantage for my competitive advantage. And that is the thing I love to speak to major companies about and companies that are leading kickoff events. And companies that are really looking to up their game, that's my expertise now, is I've gone into keynote speaking and I offer accelerator workshops and teaching companies how to win. And I, I talk about the parallels. Like when I was sitting as an engineer years ago, and I would look at how AT&T and others were competing against Verizon and Comcast, competing against Verizon and so on. I'd sit there and ask myself a bunch of questions engineers never ask themselves. Like, why is it their pricing is better than us in our own backyard, for example? Why is it that they're able to offer fractional services and we chose not to in market? And I, I came to realizing there's a whole art to campaign design and to how to connect the dots between being a former top salesperson nationwide and the marketing ladies and, and gentlemen that were hitting the campaign designs and saying there's a lot of opportunity there to, to really bring in better synergies and more creative vision around the totality of what was available to design these campaigns to win. So that's the thing I will always go back to guys is if you're in a job right now and you really want to be a heavy contributor, you got to look creatively outside the box, connect the dots, be willing to put the long hours in. I put in 10 years of that 23 year career building the knowledge of how to leverage your creativity to compete to win. And now I'm teaching companies and individuals exactly how to do that all right well 
All I gotta say to that is I'm in telecom sales. We should talk after this. But uh, I'd love to. Yeah, I would absolutely love to. But um, why don't you tell us what CD you decided to bring, Robbie? So that, that and why and why you want and why you chose this. And to be honest, people, Robbie gave me two choices. The one, the other one was Rush, which I chose this one over Rush, which you'll see why once you hear what it is. But I just didn't know Rush that well. But and then this other one is just legendary to begin with. So I had to go with it because they haven't been on the show yet. Absolutely. And, you know, honestly, my favorite contemporaneous bands are like Linkin Park, Nine Inch Nails, Stone Temple Pilots. My old classic favorite bands happen to be Rush and happen to be Led Zeppelin. And I know they're different universes to some artists. Like I've had some very talented people in the studio that go, look, Led Zeppelin was impromptu. They're extemporaneous. They have long medleys. They do like long ass instrumentals and solos. Why? You know, and then when you look at Rush, it's highly formatted. It's very sterilized, like in their sound. It's very studio, like very yeah. So for me, Led Zeppelin was all about the early part of my musicianship, learning to be a musician and ultimately, hopefully an artist. Right. So I took a trip to England for three weeks and I was able to see literally every place where Robert Plant, Jimmy Page and John Henry Bonham lived was raised, went to school, worked, cut songs in studios. And Led Zeppelin IV for me is very special because it followed on the heels of such a radical departure from what they were in Led Zeppelin III in that release. And it really brought together to me all the elements of them actually coming into their own as artists, which led to songs like obviously Stairway to Heaven, Black Dog, go on and on. And I was able to visit Headley Grange where they actually cut a lot of the tracks for that album right in the same hallway. If you read all the interviews, you'll see, you know, they talk about how they mic'd John Henry Bonham's drum down the hall. Yeah. Down the stairwell. And, and I was right in that stairwell. And I was like, now I kind of get it. Why it sounds that way. And it was obviously audio engineers and a lot of work that went around that, that were professionals. But at the end of the day, I was able to be there, you know, and it like, when I hear the songs, to me, they're magical. They're they're timeless. The the, the compression, the, the the mic placement, just the sound of that kick drum, and and it's just so beautiful how they all came together. They're totally different artists. They have a totally radically different style and approach to how they play. But when they bring it together, it in fact is so unique. And so that's why I chose Led Zeppelin for. Well, I mean, yes, and tech technically, um, I chose Led Zeppelin four, but I mean, <laughs> out, out of two options, out of two options, how could I not? How could I? How, how could I fucking not? As it, we haven't had Led Zeppelin on the show yet to begin with, and it was Led Zeppelin four. How could I not bring it on? But I've been, I've been waiting. I've been waiting for the opportune moment. <laughs> I, dude, if I, if we if we had that moment, I would have brought it on too. Like it's like it just we never had that we never had that classic rock, like that real classic rock like mojo going on. Besides like the Chuck Berry bracket, but that's different genre. That's like almost a different genre completely. No doubt. Yeah, I mean, yeah. But I I fucking love the CD. 
this this may be the first time I actually heard all these songs together. I've I've heard them all through different playlists and different radios over the years of my life, but I just never heard them all together. I don't think it, so. That was also that was a new different experience for me. So, and I think there's even one or two on there I might not have heard because they just weren't the popular ones or anywhere near the popular ones. No so, doubt. But I, it was a definitely a good experience today. And well, let's just say, well, for what for for what I was playing on my Xbox while I was playing while I was listening, listening to all three CDs today. We'll just we'll say uh, we didn't get to the CD yet that matched up perfectly with the game, but <laughs> but I don't know what game Led Zeppelin would match with, so I can't even fa- I can't even fathom that. But <laughs> <laughs> maybe a racing game, maybe a racing game, but I I mean I don't know. That but also game- depends on what kind of uh, game you're playing, which album you're listening to, what game are you playing. Well, I I, I said that's what I meant, dude. But I just said like, I'll say like I can't fathom what game Led Zeppelin would line up to. I'll tell you what. Go to Led Zeppelin 1 or 2. There's a song on it called Communication Breakdown. Just play like in a continual loop. That and the Immigrant song. And that'll line up to any game you ever play. <laughs> oh, yeah, dude, me, for I, sure. Trust me. I, trust me. I used to have Immigrant song on loop when I, start, when I first started playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Because <laughs> 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 it, it lined up fucking perfectly. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah, especially if, you, especially if you're drunk. The next episode, we'll, we'll whip out the guitar and play some of that for you guys. You know, we'll set it up. All right, that's what's up. That's what's up. Yeah, but but Chancey, let's. I'm not even going to ask what you thought, but let's hear you praise Led Zeppelin Four. Oh, I fucking hated it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fucking Led Zeppelin. I mean, honestly, if 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 you don't like Led Zeppelin, then you need better fucking role models in your life. I don't know. Hell yeah. I, I mean. I, I didn't even have to listen to the album. Like I was like, "Oh, four, okay. Here's my here's my top five. Right. Just like right. I like I don't I I don't even know if I actually had to look at the track list. Like I was like, eh, no, we're gonna go this one, this one, this one, this one. This one's definitely number one. This one, yeah, for sure. I mean, I no no bad things can be said about this album." Yeah, it, it, it's true. It's true. I mean, there are some songs I like more than others, but I mean, really, not one. There's not one song I fucking hate it. That's for sure. That's for that's for damn sure. And that's very different from other CDs I've been on the show before. So I'm gonna take you guys on a mini tour as a part of the uh, the fun of being here on a video. So this is my studio again. Started with an inflatable bed and one guitar. I'm just gonna give you a couple quick highlights. And to start with, I wanted to show you. This kick pedal here, this drum kick pedal, you can see that with the little mallety thing. Here we go. Watch the Snoopy lamp. There it is. So this guy right here. Yeah. Original Ludwig 1930s, late 1930s model kick drum. It's the same kick drum that's in a couple of the interviews with John Bonham in the early years. And also just point out that Jason Bonham, his son, I met at Red Rock here in Colorado. And these are signed drumsticks from Jason himself. Dun, dun, dun. Nice. And then the last but not least I want to go really quick and share is because I toured all over Europe, so it was basically England, Scotland, and Wales, I actually have the magic maps right here, right underneath here, this big book. Nice. It has all their locations where they lived, 
their studios, where they went to school, where John Henry Bonham's grave is, a Russia church. So if you guys ever want to take the dream tour, you know, let me know. We can make that happen. <laughs> Shit. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Uh, so uh, what would you say your top five tracks off the album are, Robbie? You know, I think obviously you have to start with their, you know, their best arguably song that's in, now Robert Plant has been interviewed as saying he's had some misgivings with some of the lyric on this song because I think he was struggling with coming into his own as a young man at the time. He was probably, I'm going to guess, around 24. Just very young to commit a song that you're going to own the very rest of your life. But I have to start with Stairway to Heaven. You know, I think there are a lot of elements in there that, that are interesting from a musical standpoint. You've got swing on the drum that leads into heavy riffing, and then you've got guitar that's very light, that's acoustic, that leads into electric. You've got Jeff, John Paul Jones or John Baldwin that is taking on, you know, a lot of space, which he typically did in that band. So I'd probably start with Stairway to Heaven. And then from there, I'd probably say Black Dog is probably my next fave because Black Dog really, to me, is, is the heaviest part of the, the whole album. It's just, it's such a badass song. And it's, it's fun to play live, you know? Like literally, when you play that song live, it's, it's a whole nother level. Like what you're doing there in your music is you're bringing on a lot of the black magic, if you will, in the work. Um, I think personally, when the Levy breaks is probably one of the most ripped off drum lines you'll ever hear. And, and you, you heard it in video games, you've heard it in film, you've heard it on TV probably. So I'd have to kind of credit, you know, John Henry Bonham for that incredible delivery that he did in that song. And maybe even, you know, I was kind of saying four sticks, but I think I'd probably put in Misty Mountain Hop above that because it's just another badass song. If you ever heard it live, and I've heard it a few times with Robert Plan and with Jason Bonham and others, it's just such a badassery to perform. Like, it, it, it's, it's a whole nother level, guys. Yeah, I mean, it definitely is. <laughs> but, uh and thank you, Phil. Nice. Nice. And yeah. All right. Well, top five on this CD was not hard at all. It was one of the easiest CDs ever to pick a top five off of. But number five, number five for me was four sticks because the drumming in that song is fucking incredible. Like that's actually one of the songs I never heard before. And when I heard it, I was like, what is this? What is like, he doing? Right. Exactly. How the hell is he doing that? Yeah, I mean, it's just insane, and it's purely insane, and the only reason it's number five is because there's so many other good songs in this fucking CD, but... Exactly. Number four is going to California, because, like, the vibe of that song just hit me right, and the lyrics were freaking amazing. I used to but... play mandolin on that song as a kid in a cover band, so I totally dig you there, big time. That's what's up. And then number three through one are kind of predictable, but... Number three is rock and roll because that's one of those songs I've heard for 25 years. That's just incredible. Yep. And then number two is Black Dog because why wouldn't it be? <laughs> and then the only song that could surpass it is, of course, Stairway to Heaven, which yeah. one of the most famous songs of all freaking time. And the fact that it became a suicide song, like it's just like, like that's, that's all I heard about growing up from my from my parents. Is like, yeah, a lot of people 
did horrible things to that song. Right. And I was like, I was like, I'm like, I get why, kind of, but still, like, why do parents I'm, do that? Like, I'm not want to go down the the bunny trail, but Chancy, I'm I, you have to chime in here if you if you have any experience. But my dad, I love my dad, and I, I'm at an age where, believe me, I'm grateful for everything that he's done. But holy shit, was he an asshole when it came to ripping down posters off my wall as a kid? So Led Zeppelin, I had a signed fucking poster. Oh, dude, I lost my shit. Yeah, like from the basis of Ozzy Osbourne and Rainbow, he signed a poster, Rip, and and Guns N' Roses. I mean, and I go to it and I go, you know, I understand as a parent, we all have concerns. I have children and, and I have daughters, for Christ's sakes. And there are times when I worry about the choices they may make. But sweet Jesus Christ, is my not going into their room unannounced and doing anything to their stuff. Like, so I think music at that time when I was growing up was kind of like, hey, if you listen to Ozzy Osbourne or Anthrax or Metallica, you must be like either high or suicidal or you're wanting to kill someone, basically. And I'm like, for me, it was always about the music and it was very pure. It was very honest. I don't do drugs to this day. Not that I judge so much, but I, I just don't. I don't have tattoos. I don't I don't I'm not the typical rock guy. I'll be honest with you. When I'm on a tour bus. I'm the most tame person you'll ever meet because I'm usually driving the 40,000 miles on that thing personally. So I don't get it. I don't get it. Maybe there was a time when artists were entitled and they were able to get away with this bullshit and have staff yeah. to support it. Back in the 70s, mostly. 80s, it kind of started cinching up a little bit because everybody went batshit crazy. Right. And, then the ni- and then the 90s basically just went into lockdown. <laughs> yes, yeah, some of them. <laughs> Unless you're Scott Weiland, and God bless him, but man, was he a head case? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I never had that experience necessarily because, like, you know, my parents were more focused on other things in their life. But, like, I grew up, the first stuff I was listening to as a child was, like, uh, classical music. A lot of it was like, you know, name that Looney Tune because, you know, they would play a lot of operatic music and classical music on their episodes and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And then my dad was really, you know, he was born in 51. So, like, he's into, like, Motown and all that, all the oldies. And my mom was, you know, big on 60s and 70s. What's up, Raxus? Hello. And uh, what's up, Jamie? And then, yeah, but uh, I kind of got exposed, you know, up to about the mid 80s as far as like just kind of on my own. And then my mom took me to her sister's house and she was listening to Black Sabbath, Black Sabbath on her like one of the you remember them epic stereos where they had like, you know, they're like their speakers that are they're so big and it's just all it is is a record player. With a glass topper on it and everything, you know. And you're wondering how the hell did they get this thing into the room, right? And I know, yeah, right. <laughs> I walk in, I walk in the, I walk in the room, and it's it's playing the the rain just before everything starts. And I'm standing in front of this thing, and I'm looking at this. I'm watching the record spin, Thin, and right? I'll say, "Oh, and it just hits too, just that." Done. I'm like, what the fuck is this? Uh, 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 yeah, it's I was, right. I was, ch- oh, on the spot, I was changed. Right, I was a changed man. I was like, I don't know what this is, but I've got to find it, and I, I it must be mine. 
I love that you really explain that because there's a lot to that, right? It's the vinyl dropping and it's the, the, the fidelity that that creates in that environment. But it's also just the way they recorded this stuff sounded bigger than almost like God, you know, it was like, so like, like I've seen interviews with Rick Rubin. I'm a nerd that way. I'm an artist. So I have to know the, Oh yeah. Rick Rubin's awesome. And, and he explains it though. He goes, look in the tape domain, in the analog domain, this is what works and why in the digital domain, this is the benefit on this track. And this is how we merge them together to make them awesome. And that's what I love about him is he literally just, breaks it down so simply for people like me that are following in the footsteps of that greatness, literally. Exactly. It make, yeah. But Chancey, what were your top five out of Zeppelin? Uh, number five for me was Stairway to Heaven. Unpopular opinion. I know, I know. That's <laughs> all right. It made the list. No, number four is uh, When the Levee Breaks. Uh, number three is Going to California. Nice. Uh, number two is rock and roll, and uh, number one's Black Dog. Black Dog's probably my favorite song. We're Not necessarily. All... What's that? We're all in agreement on Black Dog. It's a oh fuck yeah, especially for live, man. When you play that live, it's just so badass. Like people literally vibe and they go, "Shit, I didn't hear it that way before." Like when you can really pull it off with a good drummer and some a vocal with some range. It just it, it just goes right over the top in your set list, man. It's awesome. Yeah, it, uh, it, that song's just always been incredible, and it's one it's one that instead we having just like those other radio songs we always heard off this album. Like even in the two thousands nineties, they still would play them on the classic rock stations constantly. So yeah. And plus, I mean, who, who doesn't know Stairway to Heaven? I mean, I literally can't think of anybody I ever met that doesn't know what Stairway to Heaven is. And if they do, I if they don't, I literally just go over and show it to them immediately because I'm like, you're not you're not living your life to you hear this song. Yeah, go go watch the Kennedy Center version that Hart performed and Jason Bonham and forget about it. Like that to me was the epitome of that's as good as that song will ever be live ever. That's I fair. I don't think I've ever seen it live. If I'm to be honest, but I can't say I have. But yeah, I mean, outside of outside of Zeppelin in their prime, I'd have to agree with you and say that that their rendition of that would probably be the closest thing to Zeppelin in their prime for sure. Yep, no doubt. Well, Chancy, let's talk about your album next. Tell us why you wanted to bring it. Well. I mean, I wanted something that would complement Zeppelin. And I was kind of, you know, you know my method. I'll go to my playlist. I hit shuffle. And if it fits, it fits. If not, then I just keep shuffle, keep shuffle, keep shuffle. And, you know, Richie Blackmore's Rainbow comes on. And all you've, you know, all of a sudden you can hear that iconic riff. And then all of a sudden you hear fucking Dio with his tiny, tiny little body. And the voice of a thousand sons just fucking busting through, just right. like oh, I was like yeah, yeah, this will this will fit, this will fit just fine. <laughs> fucking, it's it's just called Richie Blackmore's Rainbow.
It, that's what it, that's the name of the album. It's fucking it, it. Dio was on it. It was just before he went over to join Black Sabbath and yep. then form his own band. Yeah. Dio just fucking honestly outside of Richie Blackmore being one of the most underrated guitar <laughs> players that's that isn't talked about as much as he should be. Right. Dio's fucking voice. Those two components basically. Well, and the bass player, too. But like the two most noticeable things that make the band stand out are fucking Dio and Blackmore. Just fucking. And, you know, this is kind of of its time and necessity. Like you've got and look, the Glimmer Twins, you got Rush, which largely was more or less like the lyric happened to be with the drummer and the, the vocal was Getty with the instrumentation unto its own. Yep. I got to say, like, in its time, this made sense, right? You had basically live performing acts that had maybe two to five key musicians. And really, the songwriting typically came out of an incubus of two to three collaborators. You know, like Fleetwood Mac is another example. Yeah. I think that was just kind of the thing. Once in a while, you had this kind of autocracy within bands, though, where it's largely one person really doing the bulk of writing and or production work like Boston, you know, where it's obviously cooked in someone's basement for years and it's innovation in R&D behind the sound. Uh, so I just think, you know, it's interesting what you say because I think a lot of people forget that in the time that they wrote that music, it was a necessity that you had to have two. To, to pull it off, you need the melody, you need the lyric, and you need, like, basically the, the, the guitar. So what do you think of Chancey CD as the guest, Robbie? Hmm. I think it's a really interesting pick, to be honest with you, because it's not one that's on the surface one that's very obvious. And that's what I love about it is, you know, I mean, I'm a big Ozzy fan, and I'll always say that Black Sabbath to me was more Ozzy than, than you know, Ronnie James Dio. However, Ronnie James Dio had to be in Sabbath to be who he was as a solo. Almost like it was for Ozzy – it became his independent career with Randy Rhodes. It's kind of parallel in that sense. So it's very, very unique pick. I actually appreciate Chansey's pick big time because it really brings back the history for me to appreciate how they even got to where they were. So good. Nice. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Absolutely. Now, Chance, a lot. When you propose this CD of yours, I have never heard of such an album in my life. And... I mean, once you told me it was Dio, I was like, oh, okay. I'm like, I love Dio. Like, Holy Diver is one of the best songs ever. So I'll 100% respect Dio. And I even don't mind Dio's Black Sabbath days, though Ozzy definitely was better. But 100 fucking percent better. But- <laughs> I, I, I liked I liked actually how I liked how they understood that and then changed their name to Heaven and Hell. Right. Before they kind of disbanded it and Ozzy came back together and they got back together for Black Sabbath. I, 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 you know, yeah, you're right, though. Like, everybody understood that Dio wasn't, you know, he was definitely not Ozzy. But at the same time, I don't know. I think, I think Dio could have probably, I wish I would have been able to have heard a live version of Dio singing fucking Black Sabbath. So, I mean, I don't know. Black Sabbath, Black Sabbath, only that song. I think he would fucking rock the shit out of that song. Right, right, right. Who wouldn't pay to be in that auditorium? <laughs> oh, fuck, man. Yeah, all day long. Or the one time that Van Halen played with freaking uh, Randy Rhodes, Quiet Riot, right? Yes. 
But give me a break. I would pay a thousand dollars to see that, literally. Oh man, Randy Rhodes. That guy was so awesome. Yeah, but yeah, so I did enjoy the CD though, Shanty. I at the end of the day, I did enjoy your CD. I actually listened to it first today because I usually never listen to your CDs first. So I'm usually just like, what hell hath pertained for me today? But <laughs> But I actually listened to it first because I was kind of curious. And I'm like, I obviously know my CD. I know Led Zeppelin 4 enough to know I'm going to love it. So I'm like, I usually do the guests first because a lot of times the guest albums are ones I've never heard of. So I'm just like, all right, I'll, I'm going to do this first just so I have music recoverable from it if I need to. But because, you know, you listen to some bad shit and you need to listen to some good shit to like recover your ears from it. But it's just with, with the CD today, I'm like, all right, I'll put on Chansey's first because I don't know it. And it was actually. Not bad. Like I, did, I, I enjoyed it greatly, and some of the songs I really enjoyed. Some of the songs, not so much, but some of the so- some. It was half and half. It was yeah. Good. It was a it was a good CD. I mean, I wouldn't say I'd listen to the whole CD over and over and over again, but I wouldn't do that with a lot of CDs. So that's not a big deal. And but, that's probably worth noting. Like when you get artists that are, and, and really vocalists are a huge piece of a band, even though everyone knows the front man, and and you know they want to hear the interview and all this stuff. Behind a rapper, for those that aren't artists or musicians that are listening to your show, they probably get an intuitive sense that it takes time to build a songwriting repertoire within a working group. So the fact that Dio came in the way that he did, and to even pull off half of the catalog that he contributed that was cut commercially and released, that's pretty damn impressive. Like, it takes artists. I mean, Led Zeppelin was the complete outlier in that sense. Like, they're teenagers, literally. Uh, two of them cutting songs that are all every single one of them a hit on a single release just about and then you got most bands that take years to build that and kiss is one of them van halen was absolutely one of them uh so you know you kind of appreciate what dio did in a very short time there yeah it was definitely a good it's definitely a good um amazingly good album but chancy what were your top five since it's your pick Actually, I'm, well, before I drop my five, honestly, I always felt that this you, this is like a literal representation of the singles era album. Mm-hmm. Like there's a good couple of songs on there that they could throw out there as singles and then the rest of it's just, you know, B-side filler, A-side filler. For uh, me, my number five was uh, Catch the Rainbow. Mm-hmm. Uh, number four was uh, Still I'm Sad. Hmm. Uh, number three was if you don't like rock and roll. Uh, number two was Black Sheep of the Family, and number one, of course, is the Man on the Silver Mountain. Nice, mm. nice, huh? That, that fucking guitar riff, just that fucking do bad, do dump bad, do, and then fucking, and then you got Dio just coming out of nowhere, just fucking that. <laughs> That, that bellowing voice, I'm a wheel, I'm a wheel. You're like, what the fuck? What the fuck? Mm. Well, what were your top five on his CD, Robbie? You know, I have to line up pretty closely with Chansey there. I don't even think I want to attempt to put a one through five number on it. Because when you get down to it, I, I had the same picks. And to me, they're all very similar in terms of quality, in terms of like appeal. Like I would flip them on just to drive or just even to work. Like it motivates me when I hear his voice and the guitar just cutting through like a buzzsaw really puts something on me when I'm having to get 
crank workout and get stuff done. And by the way, driving a tour bus, which I've done that for 40,000 freaking miles of the U.S., you got to put that stuff on because you're going to fall asleep at the wheel otherwise some of these days. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I can only imagine. But uh, see, Chancy, we had a lot of the same top five, but not in the same order. That's what made it interesting. That's interesting that we all three kind of arrived in a similar cul-de-sac. Yeah. But I think I think I also I think I have one that neither that you didn't have on yours as well though. So yeah, well, I, you know, I, I think I think, but my number five was the Temple of the King because that was a yep. good song. That is a good one. Number four was Catch the Rainbow because that song was like kind of weird but kind of good. Like it was just different. And number three was Black Sheep of the Family. Uh-huh. Because, I mean, that's just that's what you yeah. called Chancy earlier, though. <laughs> he's not wrong. I mean, he's not lying. Uh-huh. I know I'm not. That's why I said it. But <laughs> and then this is the one that's different because number two to me was self portrait because that whole that that whole line of nothing is real but the way that I feel like yeah who hasn't been to that point in their life like no. like that's just. Like and the fact they call it self portrait is just like no, like hitting the fucking nail on the head for me on that shit. But oh, we're back to moving pictures. Rush with the portrait, bro. <laughs> it's right on but, the cover. Come on, you know. It's like, uh, <laughs> but and then number number one was of course still I'm sad because the guitar work in that song is fucking incredible. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Like the guitar work in that song just had me fucking amazed. Like, amazed. Like, I don't know. I, I loved it. I love that song. So that's that was immediately my number one. As soon as I heard, it, I was like, "Ooh, damn!" Like, I've not heard this before, but it definitely made my like songs list on Spotify. Yeah, it's definitely a good one. I don't know, but that solo, like, first the just the guitar licking "Man on the Silver Mountain" plus that solo. It's just that. The hammer-ons and the pull-offs, just fucking, just, just from the pre-chorus, just fucking. It's like, like my, like I, I, it's been a while since I played it, and just like thinking about it makes my hand cramp. Like I'm like, yeah, yeah, what the hell, right? Like, how does the finger do that? They've got to be doing this all day long, almost like it's like talking and breathing and stuff, like literally. And the hammer and pull-offs are really key in the guitar, like. It, it's, oh, for sure. It's not even always like, you know, I've got this chord that's like Dean DeLeo from STP is really cool because he's a, to me, he's a walking anthology of, and he had certain go-to artists that he learned some of this from. He had these like weird chords that, that sound very natural, like in the composition and the recordings. But when you deconstruct the song as a guitarist and you actually start figuring out what is he playing? It's so fucking off the charts, guys. Like literally... It blows me away. And even some of the stuff that Alex Lifeson does on the, even Tom Sawyer, I can't tell you how many guitarists that I'm ashamed to, to see and the way that they play it all straight through like a bar chord. And it's so wrong. It, like if you're going to play a song like Tom Sawyer, for Jesus Christ's sake, learn it the right way, right? Same thing with a Randy Rhodes song. You just don't, you don't not treat it with the correct homage and you do your homework a little bit more. And not saying all guitars are perfect. I'm not. But Jesus, I'm going to put the time in to know it pretty well. And uh, it's similar with Hammer on Pull-Offs. Like you got Richie Blackmore. You got even to some extent, I, I dare say, um, like Eddie Van Halen did a lot of Hammer on Pull-Offs in arpeggios. You got yep. 
um, I'm trying to think some other major artists that have done a lot of that. Have, oh, who's Michelangelo, Michelangelo Beto, right. Joe Satriani, That's Steve I. Right. And they all understand that dynamic. You know, it's not just for that sake. It's how you're phrasing and pulling this this power in your left hand to create the tone. And that's, that's what I love about some of the songs that they write. It's not, you know, the speed proficiency. It's not even that, you know, oh, the compositions in E minor, major seventh, diminished sixth arpeggio. <laughs> you know, let's not pretend we're Beethoven here. <laughs> right. Well, it all depends on what it all depends on what hand you use that is the hand that has the strength. But come on now. But right, right. That's true. That's true. Little double on ent- little double entendre there for everybody. But unless you're Paul McCartney. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, Paul McCartney. <laughs> oh. We were just we were just talking about him on something on another show. Oh, we were talking about him on something else. I can't remember the hell it was, but uh, I don't know. I forget now at this point, but I guess now the last CD we have is a little bit of a jump into the future compared to the other two CDs. But mm. I had a I had a very particular reason for bringing it, and it is literally because well I'll get to that more when I get to my top my top song. But there's a reason for bringing it, and it actually has something to do with the CD that Robbie brought as well. And people are going to be like, "How the fuck do these two albums match up?" Even, but <laughs> I have I have my reasonings, but. Yeah, I'm my side to bring because I already brought their second album, so I decided to bring Demon and Wizard's self-titled first album on. Call me Messiah, I am God, the Because they've only done three, and the third one just came out a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. So there's only like decades between their albums, but because as as I've said in the show before, Demon and Wizards is the supergroup combination of Blind Guardian and Iced Earth, which right. two of the greatest freaking symphonic bands ever put together is just amazing. Mm-hmm. And this is my favorite CD by them. It always has been since I heard since I heard both of the first two before, when I first got into them. And this one's always been my favorite. Like it's just such a heavy CD, but such good written lyrics and just I mean. The, the different singers too from each band like doing their own parts as well it's just incredible like mm, I, I mean I could literally just orgasm over the CD all day because I've done it for years it's just it's such an amazing CD it may change his smile but um yeah I just I don't know I there's a reason it matched up but I'll get to that in a little bit but I want to hear what our guest Robbie thought of my album you know honestly it blew me away because like there's <laughs> certain like go-to sounds that like guitars have like this you build over time and years, it takes years to build a catalog of, okay, I can go to and sound like a Demeter and a Marshall. I can go over here and sound like a Mesa Boogie with, uh, you know, like a Schechter, right? And it's, it has a very distinct sound. But this this artist group, man, it blew me away because they, they just have totally different sound, man. Their production team must have been amazing to work with. That's my only guess in the way that this music was created. There was high production value, a lot of collaboration, behind the scenes to pull off what they did. Yeah, I mean, well, there's a reason they only release one album every decade. So, I mean, it's, it takes a while to put together a CD, but it's just freaking, 
Like, uh, I, I mean, it's two it's two groups that already have their own dynamic sounds and putting them together it just works sometimes, sometimes it doesn't. But they made it work, and they're similar bands to begin with, but still, like their their styles when they do their own albums are just so unique compared to what they put together. It's just absolutely, just skill. It's all it's all it's all I can call it is skill. But Chancy, what did you think of this album compared to the album I brought on when Casey was on? I was pleasantly surprised with this one. Because, like, I mean, outside of a lot of the lyrics, like, or not the lyrics, but the singers almost kind of sounded like they wish they were King Diamond. The guitars, all the guitars fucking made up for it. Like, all of the songs that made my list, I just was listening to it, and I almost forgot about what what grief I might have had maybe with this this piece or that piece or whatever right i was like god it's like god damn that's a fucking that's a feisty riff man he's playing at our funeral man like it's so awesome it's that epic you go i don't know that it's easy to top that sound i really i've been in a lot of studios and i i've not heard guitars like that and the way they mixed the vocal and the drum into that i mean come on it's crazy it, it is insane, like, the way they do things. And I would love to see them live, but I don't think they ever really perform that often because supergroups rarely ever perform unless it's at, like, big festivals and stuff. Exactly. But I'm pretty – I've see i seen them at festivals, I'm pretty sure. Like, or like after they do a CD, like, every decade, they'll come out on tour for one tour during that release, but that's it. It's just – then they're too – I mean, hell, Iced Earth has, like, 20 CDs, and Blind Guardian has, like, 10 or 15 CDs, so they're busy fucking guys. But yeah. – <laughs> Like, I, I I gotta bring. I got. I'm not that big a fan of Ice Earth, but Blind Guardian. I gotta bring on here at some point. There's a couple seasons those I really like, but but yeah, get to my top five so I can tell you the reason I brought it. Actually, and I had I did have three honorable mentions for this CD just because how could I not? And the first honorable mention was Heaven Denies because mm-hmm. that's I love like the lyrics in that song more than anything. Because as Chancey knows from the last time we did one of their CDs, they are very literary-based songs. And Heaven Denies is, of course, uh, about Milton's Paradise Lost because it's based on it's based on that story. And if you actually listen to an audio version of that book while listening to that song, like in slow motion kind of, it makes a lot of sense. Like I actually slowed the song down to last like as long as this one podcast did four parts of Paradise Lost and... I combined them. I played them at the same time, like while I was sitting and playing video games one day. I was just like, "Holy shit, this is deep." <laughs> <laughs> you get, I mean, fuck Dark Side of the Moon and uh, watching Wizard of Oz. This is a better combination. <laughs> but, but uh, next one was My Last Sunrise because I love the darkness of that fucking song. Like, but it's like also like an empowering song. Like it's My Last Sunrise. I'm gonna make it worth it type of thing. So, yeah. and like at the end when they just start like the screaming, like it's just like oof, like the death moment. Yeah, I love that song. Like, there's really, there's really not songs in the city I don't like. To, to not pick them all was a feat for me. The last song we'll mention was The Whistler, because I mean, it, it, it's obviously based on the Pied Piper, but I still, it's just such an incredible song. But, I mean, it's not top five worthy. No way, compared to the other ones. Number five was Blood of My Hands, because 
I love that. Like that's just which it's a, it's one of their Lord of the Rings songs. They've got a few of them on different CDs, but it's one of their Lord of the Rings songs. And I think it's about Siegfried. I could be wrong, but I think it's about Siegfried. But yeah, which was a lesser-known character from Lord of the Rings in the books, but it's just a freaking amazing song. It's not about the Banshees of Incheren, is it? <laughs> like, do you ever feel like leprechauns are running around in their heads when they write this stuff? Like, I swear, they must have had such a visceral image to write that song. Like, they well, really I mean, be very creative to do that. If you listen, like, to their I Start Flying Guardian stuff, like, they are very much into the fantasy world, and they definitely were those kids that grew up playing Dungeons and Dragons and like reading Lord of the Rings and shit like that. Like, they definitely, they definitely were the Stranger Thing, Stranger Things kids did they from a metal band. So, no doubt. No doubt. <laughs> <laughs> but um, number four. To my list, but uh, actually, no, 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 I know where it's going. But uh, <laughs> number four for me was Tear Down the Wall, which is just an incredibly empowering song. Like when you're frustrated at work or something, or when you're having a bad day in general, like it's a motivating song, like break down the fucking walls. Like it's just, I, I love that song. It, 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 I never read anything that says it's about this, but it makes me think it's about Lord of the Rings. Like, uh, two towers like era Lord of the Rings, like I don't know. I just have a feeling that's what they wrote about, but they didn't write that. They didn't do that. Say that in an interview anywhere. Number three is the Path of Glory because that's another song that's just like invigorating and makes you want to like get up and just like go fucking fight somebody. <laughs> <laughs> get into a circle D mosh pit and break a nose. <laughs> I had a friend that almost did. She was. He was pretty cool looking. She brought her freaking daughter with her. <laughs> Decided to go into the mosh pit at Social D here at the Fillmore in Denver. And I still have photos of the bloody noses, man. It was we were walking out the EMT exit just to like go, all right, we we earned our stripes for the night, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then number two for me is Gallows Pole. Because Gallows Pole is just an amazing freaking song. Like I love Everything, everything about that song is just incredible. Like the way it starts off all slow and then it just gets like hugely powerful. Like it's just, it almost reminds me of, uh, there's an Iron Maiden song I'm thinking of. I can't think of the fucking name of it now. Like, uh, I, is it Fear of the Dark? I th oh, yeah. It, yeah. It's Fear of the Dark. Cause like Fear of the Dark's about being hung because it's about not wanting to get the hood over you. But yeah. Or is so, it okay. Squire in the dark? <laughs> no, yeah. it's, it's Iron Maiden. <laughs> but, yeah, <fun> example. <laughs> and then my number one, of course, is White Room. No chance, Young King. I didn't pick the cover. But I do love the version of White Room. I actually forgot to put that on the list at all, but it is a damn amazing cover. Their covers are always good. They did Immigrant Song on the other CD I brought on, actually, which... Too bad I couldn't bring that again, but they did bring, they did do immigrant song on that CD and they, they even did that great. I think. I mean, Chancey has mixed opinions on. It, I'm pretty sure, but they did a pretty decent job of it. Right, Chancey? Sorry, I was miles off. I was trying to think of that Iron Maiden song. I'm pretty sure it's Fear of the Dark, but uh, and Cradle of Filth we did it too, but but anyway. 
but yeah. But my my actual number one is Fiddler on the Green, because yeah, and that's the reason I picked the CD could to match with his CD because mm-hmm. Fiddler on the Green to me is a more modern Stairway to Heaven. Yeah, like, I I could see like a huge analogy there between the two, kind of like it's just I don't know. It's because it's both songs are about death, and he actually. Kirsch, or however the hell you say his uh, Icelandic ass name, um, like he, he he wrote the song based on two car accidents he witnessed. Like, so like the Fiddler on the Green being the Grim Reaper, which is the most amazing cover art as well. They did with it the actual Grim Reaper playing a fiddler on a in a green field with two children listening. Like it's kind of a fucked up cover in a way, but it's kind of like trippy too because it's like whoa, whoa, like what? It's like classic metal covers, like, but. Yeah, so that's why I, that's why I picked the C because Feather on the Green to me is always reminded me of Stairway to Heaven in ways. So, yep, and it's just a beautiful song. Like, like it's, uh, it, I love songs about the Grim Reaper for some reason. I don't know why. Like, on many different that's come up on many different C's we talked about, but just that one always just is like chillingly beautiful. But what were your top five there, Robbie? Top five songs of all time. <laughs> let me see what it is and and i mean it goes to me without saying you gotta have a van halen song in there number one you got it because eddie van halen alex van halen i mean they wrote some of the best songs i'll ever hear in my life i'm very positive of that so you know i'd probably put for eddie van halen i was a little more of a fan of them with van hagar oddly and I know that's a little contrary to many that I've met over my time. And, and I mean that with great respect because David Lee brought a certain rhythm and blues, whiskey-infused voice that was surly unique. And his theatrics were better uh, in the live performance. There is zero doubt about that in his prime, you know. But to me, you know, the, the, the more modern contemporaries, Van Halen off a of balance was absolutely potent and, and just – literally in your fucking face and that's what i loved about eddie at the time that he was recording those songs and just speaking from a guitarist point of view the eventide harmonizers that he was using were so awesome they just the stereo imaging the production value ted templeton's work i believe was on that as a producer and at the end of the day warner brothers really hit the home run there so i'd I'd probably put like you know uh let me think now. Which song off of Balance would I put on there? You know I meant top five songs off my album, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because I'm an artist, so I just do what I do. <laughs> so I'll put Balance, the whole freaking album, as my top one. <laughs> How's that? I'm going to put all the chips in the front of the, the table. And then from there, I'd probably have to go, honestly, with a Sonic Octane song. We have several we have not released, incidentally. So perhaps the next time I'm on your show, I'd love to share with you a live performance of some of the guitar work that came off of one of those tracks. And uh, But the reckoning for the release for your audience, they can go and check that out on Sonic Octane, uh, uh, Spotify, Facebook, what have you. And then for me, a third song would absolutely have to include, again, hands down for the epic time that this band has served and lived, you know, Rolling Stones. You know, when you think about all the work and the catalog that they produced, especially to me, the, the mid-career stuff, like, you know, Exit Off of Main Street or, or uh, you know, Get Your Yayas Out and so on. 
some of those songs on there were absolutely like, and, and even Tattoo, Tattoo You, just beyond the pale. Like when you think of the songwriting team that were the Glimmer Twins, you know, so like maybe Wild Horses, you know, like to me, that's a beautiful song and it's not always rock, you know, that's the thing, like you mentioned about Led Zeppelin earlier with some of the lighter material off of four, uh, you know, and, and it's just kind of like that, like that's the way, you know, off of Zeppelin three, that to me, what the Rolling Stones did with the, that particular song, Wild Horses, uh, I would probably put an Ozzy song in there and, and it, it would have to be with all due respect to Zach Wild is an amazing super talented guitarist that plays circles around me i think i'd have to go back to you know ozzy's first two albums and suggest to you like you know flying high again may have been one of the better uh cuts of material for randy rhodes that was commercially released and then last but not least for the fifth position you know we kind of got like the classic rock tuned in pretty good i'd probably go with something lincoln park did because i met chester here in Denver, and he was an absolutely gentle soul, just like you read about. And I, I think I'd have to probably put in the end there in tribute to him and his legacy, his life, his family. And it's a beautiful song, a lot of still motion videography in the, in the music video. And uh, I just think I'd have to throw that in for good measure. All right. Interesting list, I have to say. Very diverse. <laughs> Definitely. But Chancy, what were your top five off my album? Oh, 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 you see that? He put the hook in there, Chancy. Yeah, I know, right? He knows better than to leave an open opportunity for me. <laughs> damn, damn sure I do. Damn sure I do. <laughs> There's been too many times where I've where I've burnt him. <laughs> He's like, I hate, I hate, I hate greatest hits albums. Next week I bring a greatest hits album. Oh. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Number five for me was uh, Heaven Denies. Mm-hmm. Uh, number four was uh, Gallows Pole. Uh, three was Blood on My Hands. Uh, two was Tear Down the Wall. And uh, one was uh, Chant. I know. Yeah, I know it. I fucking and know it. Ri- a- and Rites of Passage. Oh, a tie. Wow. Well, see, if, if there's an intro or an outro or any kind of a skit on a song, uh-huh. I always, oh, there was one time we had, we did one of the Eminem albums and he has like all those skits. I did a whole, I did a whole top five of the skits Whoa. and I just read, I just read those off. I mean, I had real songs ready and prepared in case he like flipped a lid, you know, like, God damn it. That's not what I meant. You fucking know it. off the cars or like bread or something like that just to fuck with them hey bread's my favorite band ever i promise (laughs) right (laughs) no i wouldn't flip on you chancy i would just be like you fucking dick and move on (laughs) (laughs) i know i I know you well enough by now but uh, but so yes, that concludes all albums that we brought to the table tonight. Overall, it was a very rocking episode in a way. Yeah. Of course, of course we want to thank Robbie for coming on because it's been a blast having him on and getting to hear all his stories of the biz and getting that, getting some business advice too, which is unexpected in this show, but always a pleasure. 
Thank you. Because who doesn't need business advice in this horrible financial age we live in? So to that. <laughs> but Robbie, where can they find you? Your where can they find your band and everything else you do, basically? Yeah. Sonic Octane. Yeah, yeah. Don't forget the name of the band, guys. Here's here's the little sticker. So, and you notice the font? Doesn't it look very Led Zeppelin-y to you? A little bit. There's the Phoenix. It's fine. So honestly, you can check us out. First and foremost, you can find me, Robbie Phoenix, at LinkedIn. And that's LinkedIn forward slash in forward slash my name. And my proper name is Robert. And my last name is Zeas, Z-E-A-S. That's the best place to get a hold of me. Other than that, you can Google Sonic Octane. You'll find us everywhere. We're on Twitter as Sonic Band Fan. We have our 21,000 followers there. You can find us on Facebook on our main page, which is about 2,200 followers, Sonic Octane Band. And you can find us everywhere else, basically. But at the end of the day, those are the main places to look. If you're looking for upping your game in your job, and we're in a recession right now, make no mistake about it, there's a lot of downsizing going on in particular in the tech field that I served for 23 years. You know, my concern for your audience is there's probably someone in their office worried shitless about their job. You know, the walls are caving in, the finances aren't looking good. I heard one of the main companies I used to work for, they're going to be shedding thousands of employees at the tail end of next month. It saddens me, but I will tell you, I'm there for you. I'm in your corner. And if you're looking for guidance on how to compete and win, and develop a strategic marketing plan that will make literally millions of dollars for your company this fiscal year, you want to text me and text me the word Robbie, R-O-B-B-I-E to 33777. And if you're looking for that advice, I offer accelerator courses. I also offer keynote opportunities. If your company's looking to hire to have someone speak about how they made a quarter billion dollars for Fortune 100 companies, I'm your guy. Well, there you go, folks. All your needs met in one person. How awesome is that? You get, <laughs> even even puts on his own music show when he does his he does his keynotes. So there you go. Exactly, exactly. We bring the tour bus as an optional, you know, VIP thing. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. Oh, shit, I want to work for that company. That yeah. Decides, that decides to hire a fucking tour bus to come with it. But but Chancy, where can they find your self loathing lonely ass? <laughs> well. Uh, outside of the book of faces, uh, you can find me on Instagram and TikTok under the Red Eye Roundtable, and on uh, Twitter as Red Eye Table because apparently they got to pay by the letter in that son of a bitch, I guess. And then you know, there's always the void. If you can't find me anywhere else, check the void. I'm usually there. Mm-hmm. It's a good, it's a good time. Mm-hmm. And of course, you could find both of us on Facebook as Paranormal Normal slash Maniacal Music Musings Podcast with an S Facebook group. Name change coming soon. God but, damn it every time. Because it's changing soon. We need to work on that, motherfucker. But it's half yours. But um, we we also are, can be found on Twitter and the gram as that Juggalo Bastard Podcast. And, and we can fa- be found on Tiki Taki as that Juggalo Bastard. And you can find us on yeah. YouTube, YouTube, where this is being streamed as Maniacal Music Musings. Yeah. But... <laughs> <laughs> Just keeping it fresh, man. <laughs> Dude, I'm, I'm fucking stoned. Like, I'm really looking around my basement like, when did we get a cat? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I was like, I was like, I was like, Moose, did you did you turn from a big ass mastiff into a cat already? Jesus. Can you please recite the alphabet backwards, please? <laughs> and do this. <laughs> couldn't, do, couldn't do it sober. Can barely, oh, yeah. say, it front, can barely, can barely <laughs> say it front work sometimes. But. I know. Like, they trip me up with that stuff. I'm completely sober, and I can't do that. <laughs> well, we thank everybody for listening. And What the fuck, Moose? And we'll see you next week. That calling Our precious girl She can't be gone A bit of this morning And that he's stalling Went out and started a day Wasn't there a dream Last night Like a spring never ending Still the water runs clear through my mind On the field I can see the fiddler on the green and the sad boy I took him to I would you mind would you mind would you mind if I take you Still